My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. When you go see a piece of theater, usually you are stuck in your seat for a couple of hours. But Lisa Cook Ravensbergen invites you to walk around, lie down, maybe someone will give you a blanket. She'll tell you about creating a new immersive theater experience. I'm Talia Schlinger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. An immersive audio ceremony. That's how Lisa Cook Ravensbergen describes her new theater piece, The Seventh Fire. It is kind of hard to describe, but I'm going to try. You walk in, you hear the sounds of crackling fire, atmospheric sounds. You hear voices that are telling you the story of a grandmother and her granddaughters who have reunited. And you hear the sound of whales. You can hear the sounds of real whales and also Lisa's voice in there. It turns out that seeing a photograph of whales inspired Lisa to think about these creatures and how they represent the past, the present, the future, and what we are all creating together. Lisa Cook Ravensbergen joined me to talk about it. Welcome to Q. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being here. I have to start by asking you about a photo of whales, which yes. is an unconventional place to, to yes. start, but we're going to start there. Um, <laughs> tell me about the photograph of whales in the ocean and how it inspired this, this work. So the work had been in process for a number of years, and that's being, you know, under understating how long I'd been developing the piece. National Geographic posted these uh, beautiful underwater images, live capture of a group of sperm whales or a pod sleeping together. Mm. And they were sleeping upright. And I just kind of went down the rabbit hole around whales and their heartbeats and their songs. And one day, I don't know, it was maybe a week later or something, I was sitting there. I don't even know what happened. And I suddenly went, oh their ancestors and I started thinking about the piece of the seventh fire and I started thinking about what if this scientific research that we've been doing for so long around whales and language and trying to understand the deep what if we're missing the other part of it they're the they're our closest link to the past mm-hmm and prehistoric times, some of those creatures. So how I understand that as a Anishinaabekwe, as an Ojibwe woman, is when I think of those prehistoric times or times before from the past, those are ancestors. Those are ancestor times. And so what if what we're trying to understand through this scientific methodology is actually trying to translate ancestor speak? Mm. And what if the reason why we can't understand whales is because of time. And so I started thinking about that and what that would mean for us if 
the songs that we're hearing from whales are actually our ancestors singing back, would it be back in time to us? Whoa. Or from the future back to us, because there are ancestors who have been in the past, and there are ancestors to come. We are also in this present time, future ancestors. My children are future ancestors. Right. So that those songs, those those songs that we understand as whale song, what if they are the songs of our spirits and our lineages of blood and bone and ancestor, that they are trying to either teach us who we've been, or they're trying to help us from the future hold on to knowledge or being in a way that will help us become those future ancestors. Beautifully said. Mm. Like sort of like I'm hearing like crashing the space time continuum mm-hmm. together. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like us existing in the same existing in the same time. Mm-hmm. And yet not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what you're presenting now is is your first time, I understand, taking the show out on the road mm-hmm. from its original incarnation, which uh, was, was out west um, with, you know, 37 speakers and a surround sound in a very small space. Mm-hmm. Tell me, when I walk into the theater now uh, as an audience member, what do I experience? Well, the gift of this show is that it's a new form and it doesn't really have a label. It's definitely not musical theater. <laughs> so so when you enter into the space, I think we've been calling it an immersive audio ceremony because we hope that audiences will feel like visitors uh, when they enter into the space and that there's, they have a sense of that they're entering a lodge um, and that together with the other visitors to the piece that we'll sit around a fire and immerse ourselves in the past, the present, and the future. And collectively through the story, listening to the, to the story of the grandmother and her granddaughters, um, and in the presence of the ancestors, we're invited to consider the medicine that we carry and in what ways the medicine of who we are as humans and how that unique medicine that we all carry, mm. how that might collectively co-create a future that we, we desperately need. These Ashkemadizi, these new people of the seventh fire, will trust their inner voice and wisdom that comes in dreams, both night and day. They'll pick up what was left behind. From them will come the light, the eighth and final fire. And you do all this by putting, dropping me into the center of sound that's coming from different Yeah, different instead places. of 37, it's the 11 speakers. Uh-huh. And there's opportunity to lie down, to sit, and also to walk and move as you need. Yeah. Yeah. When you say um, inviting people in as visitors mm-hmm. to a lodge, to ceremony, mm-hmm. to me, these are words that are part of uh, sacred indigenous ritual. Mm. So... Am I hearing that, like, tell me about inviting visitors into that kind of experience. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, to be clear, it's not ceremony. It's not sacred. Mm -hmm. It's definitely inspired by by prophecy, by ceremony. And one of the touchstones that I have always had with the piece, especially as we built it, was what do people need 
to feel even just a little bit of what I feel when I leave ceremony. And so we built the show in such a way that when people leave that space, they feel a, a, an attunement or an alignment or a realignment. Um, and I, I think also part of the piece is about disrupting these notions of what theater is. And I'm really uh, recognizing how these colonial systems that we're all a part of, how the, the structures replicate that colonial impulse and occupation mm -hmm. in all of us, not just Indigenous bodies. And so to enter into a space as a visitor into something that is presented through theater, to me is disrupting the relationship that I think there's a power imbalance in theaters. And I, I think that to enter theater spaces as we know them in Canada, um, as it's called colonially, that we we are expected to recolonize ourselves just to have the privilege, the quote unquote privilege of accessing that space because theaters are often a, a, a colonial mode by which we replicate stories that replicate systems that replicate colonialism. And so as an indigenous woman, as in a mother, as an artist, I'm just not interested in that. It's not that I don't participate in, it's not that I don't, I'm not complicit because I am. So I feel like in, this was one of the few opportunities I had as an artist and as a Quay human to be able to say, well, what if I make this story for us? What if I, I, I build a show that allows us to enter into relationship with ourselves and with other people and with story in, way, in ways that feel more authentic to who I am as an Indigenous person? One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is there a moment for you in the seventh fire that really exemplifies this sort of intergenerational exchange uh, that's at the heart <laughs> of the story? There's so many. Um, there's this one moment that, that comes to mind, though, and uh, there's a, a moment in the show where one of the daughters um, is pregnant and she speaks about dreaming about, she has a dream or a vision, you know, of her, of her baby, mm. her daughter. And so she starts describing this imagined exchange she has with her future child at the dinner, at the breakfast table. And, and that she asks her child, what does the future need? And I always get emotional remembering this because for me, that moment 
uh, came from uh, a very real lived moment in my life as a mother when my child was, I think they were about four. And I asked them the same question. And they were sitting at the table um, uh, in their little underwear and eating warmed raspberries in their oatmeal. And they, just like in the show, they talk about what they imagine the future and what it needs. And they said things like, um, you know, two sons. They need, apparently we need more than one son. <laughs> and um, but then they also were talking about, you know, things you would expect a four-year-old to talk about. But then they also talked about, you know, we need uh, clean water. And we need uh, families to not be taken apart and kids to never be lost. And I, I found it such uh, a humbling and profound moment in my life where I, <laughs> I just, I learned so much from them in that moment. And so um, with their permission, you know, I, I had I had recorded that or not recorded, but I've written it down afterwards because I wanted to remember what the future needed. And so I asked them, can I put this in the, in the show? Because I think one of the women in the show, she's trying to imagine through her, you know, through her child's eyes and heart, what, what does she need to do basically? Mm -hmm. And so my, my child was like, yes, of course. I ask her what she thinks the future needs. A bigot ray to shoot at bigots, of course. A second son, an end to poverty and hunger, and education for people in places that need it, families being allowed to stay together, kids never being lost, and clean water for everyone without it, and an end to suffering like that. So for me, that that just felt really important to share from my mother heart, but also just as a woman trying to imagine grappling with what the world is right now and how complicated the future really does seem in so many ways. And how simple it is, right? Like when you ask a child, like you've just said, like how the answer is so simple. <laughs> so simple. So simple. Yes. And Two sons. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> clean water. Clean like, water. not rocket science, Keeping people. families together. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's profound. It's also, I'm working this thought out as I'm saying it to you now, but I'm struck by like how as a mother, you're bringing a child into the world. You're mm -hmm. stewarding a child. You're channeling a child, whatever you think that that is. Mm. And you're, you're ushering in the answer to the question. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you're asking the kid the question, but the kid also itself is the answer to the question of what the future yeah, needs. The embodiment. For me, that's what's most um, satisfying artistically about the show. It's that there's a very real embodied invitation to to people who come to the show that it's not a passive participation um and that and and unlike other shows perhaps where you go and sit and watch people talk and sing and dance and you you're allowed to sort of be a passive participant in that experience in the seventh fire you are very much invited and also cared for in a very literal, practical way with the people who are in the 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 show with you. They're they're caring for you, and 
giving you blankets and making sure that you're comfortable and uh, attending to you and tending to you that that you that you're really invited to be aware of how you your spirit your body your emotions your thoughts what they need to either let go of or embrace or believe or heal or you know whatever it is that allows you to be open to to who you are now and who you might be in the future and how that beingness might um might uh walk alongside all those other people in the room with you being or or responding to the same uh question Hmm. And how we carry it out into the world, I guess, afterwards. Mm-hmm. And my, my hope is that that carrying, it's, it's not just a carrying, but a co-carrying. And in that carrying, that co-carrying of the bundles of who we are, of the medicine that I think we all hold or have been taught and believe that we all carry inside us, that that inevitably co-creates a future that we need, not just that happens to us, but that we we co-create alongside those, you know, whale sounds and and uh, and the babies that are to come that we haven't met yet. You know, great, 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 great generations from now that that there is um, that there is a, a through line of connection and carrying and co-carrying. Lisa, thank you so much for being here and congratulations on on this work. My heart is full. Thank you for having me. Her voice really puts you in a place, doesn't it? It's so peaceful. Uh, That was Lisa Cook Ravensbergen. Her new immersive audio experience is called The Seventh Fire. It's on now in Toronto as part of the Summerworks Performance Festival, and you can catch it until August 7th. That's it for this episode of the podcast, but there is another episode in your feed right now. And uh, it's not really fair to pick favorite children. I don't know how to do this diplomatically, but Lakeisha Benjamin is one of the best storytellers I have ever heard anywhere, hands down. You want to hear her tell stories about how she got to play with Missy Elliott, with Stevie Wonder, with Prince. She's a jazz saxophonist who's incredibly skilled, but also fearless. Like we're talking jumping up on stage at someone else's show to rip a solo before being dragged out by security. She will tell you those stories. That's in your feed right now. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.